welcome to talc teaching and learning consultation skills this is the talc talks podcast helping everyone who sees patients to improve their consultation skills to get better outcomes and this approach can even increase your job satisfaction This is TALC module 11, number six, holding the calm, using the specific consultation skills that empower healthcare professionals to handle difficult and challenging situations. This chapter explores the skills that are needed when patients enter conversations in ways that are aggressive or abusive. This goes far beyond the situations described in TALC 2-4, how can you diffuse an angry situation? Patients who are angry, scared, resentful, distressed by pain or worry, or who are feeling despised or neglected, may lose control of their behaviour and express themselves in abusive language. This may be aggressive, personally insulting, or racist, misogynist, or showing other kinds of prejudice. Talc module 11, Holding the Calm, chapters one to four, explore the background to this issue from many angles including the responsibilities and roles of organisations, teams and individual professionals, and the ethical and regulatory considerations. Healthcare professionals will find it valuable to familiarise themselves with this background material, which will inform them when working to improve the skills needed for effective work in difficult situations. This chapter specifically addresses the skills the healthcare professional can use in the heat of the moment when they are faced with an unexpected aggressive or abusive situation. Not all such encounters can be prevented or anticipated. Whatever organisational structures are in place, the healthcare professional who holds the calm using the skills described in this chapter will be enabled to take care of themselves. They can be empowered to ensure that a difficult situation is resolved effectively and appropriately. Such work uses higher order skills and the TALC team strongly recommend that healthcare professionals continuously develop and refresh their use of the core consultation skills, which are described in TALC modules 1 to 6. TALC 11.5, holding the calm using the core TALC skills, explores the role of the core skills in preventing and diffusing conflicts before they get out of hand. When there is conflict, such skills need to be used with more awareness and more intensity. Healthcare professionals also need to have the skills to regulate and manage their own emotional responses, because in doing so they will avoid panic and be able to think clearly even in times of difficulty or stress. Holding the calm will enable the healthcare professional to choose the appropriate actions that will keep everybody safe, including themselves. The aim of TALC module 11.6 is to empower healthcare professionals to move beyond conflict towards collaboration and cooperation so that a context emerges in which appropriate and effective healthcare can be delivered. Working towards this uses the skills of non-violent communication and the application of compassion, active listening and acceptance for both parties. The background to this is covered in TALC 11.4. How does this apply in remote consulting situations, for example on the telephone or with video consultations? 
patients can be abusive or aggressive during telephone or video consultations and this can be very upsetting for healthcare professionals and get in the way of delivering effective care. It is more difficult to create an effective relationship when the conversation is not face-to-face. The skills described in this chapter are applicable when consulting by telephone or video link and may well diffuse conflict to a level where healthcare can be delivered. However, if things are not calming down to the point where progress can be made, it may be appropriate for the healthcare professional to say that they are not able to deliver care while being shouted at or abused. Then the healthcare professional can make a specific commitment to call the patient back after a suitable interval when things have calmed down. When the encounter between health workers and patients becomes angry, fraught, aggressive or openly abusive, this is a very complex area of healthcare. While the interaction between an individual patient and the healthcare professional is to the fore, there are also organisational and systems issues to consider, as well as the ethical dimensions. These background issues are covered in TALC 11, chapters 1 to 5. So what are the skills that healthcare professionals need in the heat of the moment? These can be summarised in a kind of catchphrase, plus ABC. These letters stand for P, for preparation, which links up to S, safety first for health worker and patient. A is for attending to the exact circumstances and feelings of health worker and patient. This corresponds to the observations and feelings phases of nonviolent communication. B is for befriend. This means building an appropriate relationship with the patient to enable things to move forward safely. This corresponds to the analysis of needs in nonviolent communication. C is for collaborate and creating the context in which everyone's needs will be appropriately understood and met. And sometimes this means creating appropriate challenging of the patient's behaviour. This responds to the requests element of nonviolent communication. See TALC 11.4 for more details of the background to these concepts. Finally, handling difficult situations also means knowing what to do after the event and when the patient has left. Let's begin with P for preparation. Now, not all aggressive or abusive conversations can be anticipated, and so health workers need to have their skills prepared in advance for unexpectedly difficult conversation which empowers them to use such skills more readily when needed. However, on some occasions it can be anticipated that conversations have the potential to spiral into abuse. For example, if there has been previous aggression towards professionals. Health workers can do several things to anticipate and prevent conversations spiralling out of control. First of all, developing the core skills from TALP module 1 to 6 to the highest level possible can really help to prevent some difficulties arising. All the core skills will be useful if things do deteriorate. Secondly, reading the patient record carefully before seeing the patient highlights factors that may increase the likelihood that the patient will be angry or upset. And this means that the health worker can be prepared to use the skills and insights they have learned from the Hold in the Calm module. 
several issues in the record might need to be taken care of and noted. Firstly, has the patient behaved aggressively in the past? If so, consider seeing them with another person present. Have they had repeated consultations about the same problem while commenting that they are not getting anywhere? In this case, pay extra attention to their thoughts and concerns and listen carefully to their hopes for what they want to get out of the encounter with the health worker and see TALC 3.7 for more details of the best skills to use for this. Perhaps the record indicates that this patient has suffered early or repeated traumatic experiences. Remember that this may make them less able to self-regulate their emotions, especially if they are frightened, in pain, are in physical or emotional distress, or unable to navigate complex appointment systems. People under great stress in their life generally may be on a very short fuse in a healthcare setting where they hope staff will care about them and where they may have little tolerance for delays or frustrations. Preparing the room itself should be routine for all consultations. The healthcare practitioner should be able to exit the room without pushing past an aggressive person and should know where any emergency call buttons are to found and how to use them. The healthcare professional should prepare themselves psychologically too, using the skills of TALC 1-2, how can you go home with energy to spare? If you are calm, focused and able to put the stresses of any previous work to one side, then encounters with patients will go more smoothly. Being calm to start with makes it easier to think clearly and to hold the calm when things get rough. Resetting yourself before every encounter also makes the day less draining overall. Preparing with the team should include regular practice of how to call for emergency help. This could be for a patient who, whose health deteriorates suddenly or has a cardiac arrest, just as much as for someone who becomes aggressive. Always know who is around to help if needed. Holding the feeling of that support and teamwork in mind has a steadying effect. Finally, consider saying thank you for waiting at the very start of the conversation if it is clear that someone has been delayed. This recognises something good about them, their patients, and respectfully shows empathy with their situation. In many situations, this can be immediately disarming. Other helpful phrases include something like, I really appreciate your patience, or I know it's not easy to wait for a long time. Thank you so much for waiting. I'm so sorry you've been waiting. Let's get started now. Please come on through this way. Said with a smile, this can also help to reduce tension and help to make patients feel safe. That reduces aggressive behaviour in itself. All these preventative approaches link into safety first. We need to see opportunities, but also to protect ourselves, says Hesha Abrams, who wrote the book Holding the Calm. When individuals are pushed beyond the limits of their usual coping mechanisms or social graces, or when they lack the skills to negotiate officialdom effectively, they may manifest extremes of emotion and behaviours. Anger, rage, frustration, self-pity, temper tantrums and a sense of injustice 
can boil over rapidly into aggressive, abusive or challenging behaviours. The safety of both parties has to be a priority. The professional who has the skills to handle the situation will feel more in control and will obtain a more satisfactory outcome for themselves and other people. This safety can be considered under the overall headings of physical, psychological and social safety. While there is an extra level concerning safety and shared meanings that might be termed existential safety, and I'll explain this later on. Health workers and patients have complementary and linked needs for all these kinds of safety, and I'm going to summarise those in a moment. Some safety issues mean that the health worker has to leave and get help, whereas in other situations they may experience great discomfort without overt threat to safety. And then the use of the skills described in this chapter will be of great benefit to the healthcare professional themselves and for the care of the patient in front of them. When patients are aggressive and angry, they are in the grip of the outpouring of stress hormones from their sympathetic nervous system and amygdala, which is the part of the brain that deals with threat. This means they are responding as if they are under physically great threat themselves, and it indicates that they are feeling insecure, frightened and unsafe. Most healthcare professionals are familiar with the concept of fight or flight response. And healthcare professionals faced with an aggressive person sometimes shrink back into a freeze response where they feel paralysed by the fear and shock of what is happening. Being psychologically self-aware can reduce this freeze response and enable the healthcare professional to think clearly about their actions. Menachem, an American psychotherapist, also considers that there is a further response and he terms this annihilation. If fear and a sense of threat become all-consuming, which for example might happen if a person is experiencing overwhelming shame, then someone may respond with a sudden and extreme rage. He interprets this as a last-ditch effort to survive in the face of a huge threat, something akin to the attack of a provoked animal. Healthcare professionals should be mindful to ensure that they do not seem to corner the patient in a way that they see no way out of their current behaviour except for violence. I'm going to begin with physical safety considerations and think about how these apply both for the patient and for the healthcare professional. Thinking about the patient first, it's worthwhile considering whether the patient might be hallucinating, delusional or in a state of delirium because of sepsis, hypoxia or severe mental illness. If this seems likely, leave the room and ask for help. Your team will need to plan carefully as to how best to deliver the urgent care that such a patient needs. If the patient is intoxicated with drugs or alcohol, there may be a danger to themselves or others. Follow team or organisational policies for dealing with this. If the patient is intoxicated, they are likely to be unresponsive to normal social clues and there may be a danger to themselves. Organisations should have policies for dealing with this. Some patients may be poorly in control of themselves as a response to deep-seated psychological issues, including previous trauma. They may be so stressed and upset that they respond poorly to any communications and remain in a state of high arousal. Their fuse could be very short 
and the healthcare professional should consider seeking help before continuing. Thinking about safety for the healthcare professional themselves, remember to consider whether there is a weapon or a movement towards physical attack. Leave the room and call for help. Be aware of the signs of escalating aggression, such as increased agitation, a rising tone of voice, getting louder in their shouting and not calming down when given time to vent feelings, perhaps even looking around for potential weapons. The healthcare professional should get help if this situation arises. Clearly all these considerations require a clinical understanding also, for example, of the signs of sepsis or mental illness. Those details are outside the scope of this chapter, which focuses on the consultation skills needed to handle things in the heat of the moment. All healthcare professionals need to consider those issues, however. So what about psychological safety? I'm going to talk about the healthcare professional first here. If you're feeling under attack or treated with disrespect, it's painful, stinging, and it triggers the healthcare professional's own sympathetic drive and amygdala into a state of flight, fright or freeze. The healthcare professional can use calming breathing methods to enable clear thinking and self-regulate, and this calmness will transmit itself to the patient in many situations too. Is the healthcare professional aware of the team support available and how to contact people for help? Having team support creates a sense of psychological safety for the healthcare professional. Are you aware of alternative ways to use the space available? For example, can lighting be modified or are there quieter spaces available? Are there spaces where there are other team members can be nearer at hand if help is needed? All these things contribute to a sense of safety. Thinking about the patient, Remember that angry and aggressive patients are in a state of sympathetic nervous system overdrive and this engages them in a vigorous fight or flight response, often fight. This prevents them thinking clearly and is more akin to a type of panic. A calm and attentive response will soothe their sympathetic drive and move them into a more receptive parasympathetic state. From the point of view of the patient, Consider whether the environment itself is difficult or threatening. For example, a person who is neuroatypical may benefit from moving from a, to a quieter or less brightly lit space. A patient who is less articulate may find official spaces and people rather scary and threatening. Frustration increases if people can't see a way through to get their needs met. Organisations and teams need to focus on how their systems can make access comprehensible and manageable. Remember to consider whether the patient is exhausted from pain, distress or lack of sleep and thus in need of reassurance that help is forthcoming. Explaining delays and offering empathy for the patient's current situation is important and can help them to feel psychologically more safe. The healthcare professional can avoid reacting to the surface manifestation of how people present themselves and remain curious about their deeper needs. Responding with acknowledgement and empathy and active listening and curiosity is empowering to the healthcare professional in itself and can also lead to appropriate offers of help and support to the patient, which can calm things down.
What about social safety considerations? Now, this may apply to the patient because they might get angry if they feel they are failing in a responsibility for someone else, for example, needing to get attention for a sick child. Their fear and concern should be recognised. Anger can be driven by guilt or shame about not meeting responsibilities. Sometimes an outburst from a patient is related to their social feeling of being shamed or blamed or criticised for what they see as legitimate health concerns, such as a need to be seen urgently. The healthcare professional can respond with curiosity and empathy, showing willingness to try and solve problems. Thinking about social safety considerations applies to the healthcare professional as well. Are they clear about their duties under their regulatory body and their organisational requirements? Are they clear about the boundaries and limits to those duties and how to work well within those limits? Team discussions and training can be really helpful. Another consideration is to wonder whether the healthcare professional themselves is experiencing discrimination or distress in other parts of their work or in their home life that might make it difficult for them to work in stressful situations effectively. If so, it is professionally necessary to attend to this and to seek appropriate support and professional development from the team. There are also other social considerations which I think of as being about shared meanings and some people might describe this as existential safety. Patients are usually accessing healthcare in situations where they are in fear, perhaps of illness or disease, perhaps fearing the consequences, perhaps even fearing death. These are big crises for patients and they hope to be reassured of the availability of skilled and sensitive assistance. For healthcare professionals, illness, disease and even death are much more familiar. However, very high expectations are placed on healthcare professionals to be at all times very skilled, to not make mistakes, to work in intense and sometimes under-resourced situations. The pressures of regulation and performance can seem threatening to healthcare professionals who might overreact as a result. Patients hope for healthcare that is skilled, emotionally sensitive, personalised to their specific needs and as it were, always available. If services fall short in any way, patients may feel threatened at a very deep level, as if they are an abandoned child, and they may kick out in a response to that. In contrast, healthcare professionals choose their careers because they are interested in helping people. They want to develop and use their professional expertise. It can be very unnerving if patients reject what is on offer or if the circumstances mean that care is less than ideal for reasons outside the healthcare professional's own control. At a deep level, this may be threatening to healthcare professionals' sense of themselves and they might fear making mistakes or being struck off or something. And this can be professionally devastating and make people respond in less than skillful ways. It is important to remember that safety is not the same as comfort. Discomfort may be an unwelcome and indeed unintended part of a healthcare professional's experience at work. However, it is quite normal for healthcare professionals to feel uncomfortable at times 
because their work brings them into contact with major problems which carry important implications and health risks for their patients. Dealing with complex issues such as end-of-life care, breaking bad news or talking with a patient who has been harmed by errors may result in the healthcare professional having uncomfortable and mixed feelings. At times, healthcare professionals work in less than ideal circumstances, where they deliver care as best they can in spite of challenges such as inadequate time or other resources being in short supply. Feeling that they are delivering less than optimal care can become stressful for healthcare practitioners. Clearly, systems and organisational issues play a part here. Being aware of what makes us uncomfortable, as opposed to being in danger, can also be a guide to learning needs. Things we feel less confident about often need extra professional development. The healthcare professional should be the first recipient of their own compassion and recognise their own internal experiences. Having helpful thoughts and offering compassion to oneself makes things easier. For example, thinking to yourself, oh, it's so busy today. We're so short-staffed, this is really hard. But we're doing our best as a team and I'm glad I've got such good colleagues to work with. So that's what the P for preparation and the S for safety are all about. Let's go on to consider A for attending. I'll just give a reminder here about what the ABC part of this is all about. A is for attending, B is for befriending, and C is for collaborating. So what does attending mean? This means paying full attention to what is happening for both parties. Attending to the exact circumstances and feelings of health workers and patients means noticing what is happening, naming and describing it both inwardly and response to what the patient is communicating. A also means to engage in acceptance of what is happening while initially suspending judgment and using active listening to what both the patient and the healthcare professional are communicating and experiencing. Attending successfully occurs in several stages. Firstly, the healthcare professional attends to what they are feeling themselves. No one comes to work to be shouted at, abused, or to feel threatened or to be out of their depth. When situations blow up, the healthcare professional should be the first recipient of their own compassion and care. Before making any response, the healthcare professional can use this compassion to ensure that they are thinking clearly. This means breathing calmly, perhaps doing the four square or box breathing method described in TALC 2.1. I'm going to describe that in a moment. The healthcare professional can then attend to what they're feeling themselves, naming and summarising this with inward comments such as, gosh, this is a difficult situation, or that was a very hurtful thing they just said, this is very hard to cope with, or I'm starting to feel quite stressed, let me consider what to do. Naming the inward experience has the effect of empowering the healthcare professional, engaging their own self-regulation skills, and creating a gap or pause before they choose their response. Of course, it's not always easy to do this in practice. Practicing calming breathing methods regularly 
and being self-aware enough to identify and name your internal experiences can be encouraged during low stress times too and this will help when things become more difficult. So here's a calming breathing method to try. Sit quietly, even if somebody's shouting at you, and breathe in for a count of four, two, three, four. Hold that breath for four, two, three, four, and breathe out for four, two, three, four. Pause again, two, three, four, before breathing again. You can do that pattern of breathing several times. It's recommended by American high skilled military people for remaining calm during combat and other threatening situations. So it can often help in healthcare too. The next stage is for the healthcare professional to attend to the experience of the patient through active listening. Initially, will, this will mean listening without responding while indicating attention with non-verbal gestures, facial expressions, or quietly saying, mm, I see. Initially, the health worker will have an attitude of accepting what the patient is saying, which does not in any way imply approval of what is being said or shouted. If angry patients are allowed to continue venting, they usually run out of steam fairly quickly. Health workers can then use the skills of matching and mirroring, talking quietly, having a calm and open posture, engages the patient's own mirror neurons and they start to copy the same gestures and posture and tone of voice. This helps them to calm down. There's a lot more detail about this in TALP 2.1, Can We All Get On The Same Page? How To Deepen Rapport. Active listening is crucial at this point. The healthcare professional needs to reflect back what has been said accurately and without judgment. This is so that the patient knows that they have been properly heard, listened to and acknowledged. There's another A there for acknowledgement. Doing this does not imply approval of what is being said, but rather that the healthcare professional is taking that person seriously as an equal. The soothing and calming effect that this has can be very rapid and even dramatic. So I'm going to give a couple of examples. Here is an exchange that may fan the flames and excuse my slightly untoward language. Patients, I don't want to see you, you foreign bastard. There's too many of you lot here anyway. I'm effing fed up with what's happening. No one's doing eff all about this pain. What if the healthcare professional responds with, calm down. We have a zero tolerance policy here for rudeness and abuse. Please do not talk to me in that aggressive tone. It makes it impossible to work properly. What's likely to happen is the patient's voice is gonna rise. They'll be going to become even more aggressive and say something like, well, you can F off with your zero tolerance. I want some attention from someone who can speak English properly. This exchange is not going well for either party. It never makes someone calmer if you tell them to calm down. The patient is becoming more aggressive and the healthcare professional is becoming more stressed too and upset and probably feeling more threatened as well. Let's consider an alternative approach where the healthcare professional focuses on the specifics of what the patient is saying with careful and active listening. So let's hear the patient again. 
I don't want to see you, you foreign bastard. There's too many of you here anyway. I'm effing fed up with what's happening. No one's doing F all about this pain. The healthcare practitioner pauses, inwardly says, this is a tricky one, that comment hurt, breathes calmly and chooses to reflect back what the patient is saying. You're pretty angry and upset about what's happening. You're in a lot of pain and you want to see someone different to me. I can understand that you want your pain to be relieved. The patient might respond with something like, yeah, that's right, it's been effing weeks I've had this pain. The response could be something like, having pain for weeks sounds awful. Can you tell me more about what it's been like for you? A dialogue rather than a one-sided shouting is now emerging. This process needs to continue, probably for quite a few more exchanges. And the likely outcome is that the patient will calm down enough for further discussion, especially if the healthcare professional sits quietly and uses a low, calming and peaceful tone of voice. They can then continue to notice and name what's happening. And this means exploring the patient's own perspective with a compassionate curiosity, even if the healthcare professional does not share the patient's perspective, it is important to understand it. This can further calm things and help to open up a space for dialogue. The healthcare professional actually becomes empowered when they turn their own frustration and upset into a compassionate curiosity. It puts them in a more comfortable position in the conversation. Seeking clarification and details then feeding back an understanding of the patient's point of view, as well as exploring clues about what is not being said, puts the discussion on a different footing. The information gathering and active listening skills of TALC3 all come into play here. Phrases such as, can you tell me a bit more about? Or, how did you come to be concerned about? Or, I'm thinking about what you've been saying. What aspect is the worst thing for you right now? Healthcare professionals can remember that the facts are friendly and focus on the facts, the exact things the patient actually said. What I hear is that you're concerned about, or what I noticed is that you said, or you mentioned something about, can you tell me more about that? Using the patient's exact words. Other comments can open up the discussion and offer the professional an opportunity to find any tiny bit of common ground. How has that affected you? Or what did you mean when you said, followed by, I think I understand you a bit more now. Accepting what the patient says in a non-judgmental way actually has the paradoxical effect of calming people down and at times even leads them to change their minds. The healthcare professional can also try to find something that both can agree on or something that shows concern and respect for that individual patient. This helps the patient into a saying yes frame of mind and examples could include things like I think you're concerned to get the best possible treatment for your child and I agree that's essential or I can really see the pain's been awful for you recently or from what you've said you feel you need some treatment to happen very quickly. Heesha Abrams takes the view that at this stage it is essential to listen deeply without arguing, explaining, justifying, counselling or attempting to change the mind of the patient. 
This is actually in the long-term best interests of both parties. The healthcare professional will find that things calm down and progress can be made and the patient will gradually develop a clearer idea of what is realistic. Dealing with strong emotions in patients calls for specific skills from healthcare professionals. Talk module two discusses ways to develop skills in expressing empathy. The healthcare professional needs to go beyond generic expressions of sympathy. Oh dear, I'm sorry to hear that. And move to expressions of empathy specific to the individual based on what they've actually said. I'm sorry to hear the pain stopped you sleeping and made you so exhausted. There are useful summaries of different approaches to thinking about empathic communications in the resources section of the PDF, which goes with this chapter. We've done A, so let's think about B for befriending. In this context, to befriend means building an appropriate relationship with the patient to enable things to move forward safely. In particular, this means understanding everyone's needs, including those of the healthcare professional. The term befriend here does not mean that the healthcare professionals have to become friends with patients or like them as individuals or see them in the same way as one might regard neighbours or family. Rather, this derives from a concept called tend and befriend, which has been developed as a way to frame certain responses to stress and threat. Taylor and her team in California examined responses to those in distress. The responses of fight and flight are well recognised, but they found evidence that others take a more social response, which they term tend and befriend. Many people tend and befriend those who they see as being distressed, stressed or in pain. When the response to stress includes caring and relationship building behaviours, both parties release more oxytocin, which modulates stress responses. As stress reduces in either party, the autonomic nervous systems of both parties shift into parasympathetic mode, with release of hormones from the vagus nerve that soothe, calm and enable relaxation. This promotes cooperation and eases tension. Both parties feel subjectively safer and this reduces the sympathetic drive even further. Can healthcare professionals work with the tend and befriend response to help in difficult situations? There are several behaviours which can lay the ground for collaboration and cooperation. Firstly, continue to create and sustain the approach of holding the calm. Enabling the aggressive person to know that they have been seen, heard, valued and appreciated calms the conversation and can begin to heal some of the hurt that is usually driving difficult behaviour. This is most emphatically not the same as the healthcare professional adopting the position of a doormat, nor does it imply approval of aggressive or abusive behaviour. The healthcare professional remains in an adult frame of mind working to manage the situation for the benefit of both parties. This benefits the healthcare professional who remains in control of their communication, thinking clearly and not driven by their immediate fight or flight response, which can interfere with clear thought. To develop this even further, be personal. 
use the patient's name in a kind and respectful way. This does not mean agreement, but recognition of a fellow human being and has a powerfully calming effect. The healthcare professional can remain as the grown-up in the room. Many aggressive patients are behaving like out-of-control children. Responding to a child's tantrum by joining them on the floor, screaming and kicking is not a good look for parents and it's not helpful for healthcare professionals either. Being skillful and aware restores agency to the healthcare professional who can respond in a calm and adult way that tends to restore calm in the conversation and enable things to move forwards. The healthcare professional can also call forth what is good in the person as they tend and befriend them, which means finding common ground and overtly acknowledging any positive aspects of the other person's thinking. This tends to mean that the patient can move away from an extreme position into one where a more productive conversation is possible. Examples are many, but could include simple things like, I can see you're trying to take care of yourself properly by seeking out help. You're showing such love and concern for your mother and trying to get urgent help for her. You do not want to end up buying drugs on the street, which kind of makes sense. Repeating what the patient says makes them mentally or actually say, yes, that's right. And this creates a sense of reciprocity and agreement, and that further reduces hostility. Another aspect of befriending is to recognise needs on both sides. When the situation has been attended to, and when tending and befriending is occurring, it becomes possible to discover what both parties need as a precursor to collaborating and finding a way forwards. Needs are best framed as requests, and it is worth remembering that what people initially say they want may not be their actual deeper need. The kinds of needs that drive behaviour include needs for safety, well-being, connection with others and self-expression. These concepts also encompass more subtle notions, such as the need for respect, dignity, acceptance, kindness, equality, comfort or trust. People seek agency and would like to see themselves as having the ability to change things and get their needs met. Put this way, it's clear that both patients and healthcare professionals have these deeper needs and may make legitimate requests for those needs to be met in practical ways. Listening deeply to what has been said enables the professional to interpret and develop what people say about their wants and to begin to frame them in terms of deeper and legitimate needs. When their needs are recognised, there is usually a much greater possibility of cooperation and problem solving. And for example, if people have a need to be acknowledged, simply doing active listening and showing that you've really understood and acknowledged their point of view is a powerful way of meeting their need for acceptance and respect without overtly saying, I respect and accept you. Here are some other examples. It sounds like when you say you want a white doctor that you're asking for someone who's competent and who speaks English properly and well so that you can understand them. Is that right? Or you're saying you really want help with your drugs problems as soon as possible so that you get some rest and relief from how badly you're feeling. Is that right? You're feeling really anxious about your child and I think you're asking for the very best care for her. 
Healthcare professionals also have needs that can be specifically expressed once trust and communication have been properly established. Everyone here is well trained and I would like your child to have all the care she needs, which means I would like you to respect the care pathways here. At this point, I need to do an assessment of your child as soon as possible so that she doesn't have to wait for a long time. The C of ABC is for collaborating and creating the context in which everyone's needs will be appropriately understood and actually met. I enjoy this quotation from William Arthur Ward, who said, The pessimist complains about the wind. The optimist expects the wind to change. The realist adjusts the sails. Collaborating means adjusting the sails. Reaching a context in which collaboration and cooperation occur is much more likely to happen if there's been successful attending and befriending first, which will encourage the finding of a suitable solution. Several skills will enable healthcare professionals to handle situations to their own advantage and to that of the patient. Remember, most of the time, logic and reason do not persuade people to change their minds. Curiosity through active listening, as above, enlarges both parties' understanding of things, and that can help to change views. You cannot talk people away from a position, yet you can sometimes listen them out of it. And see Talc 11.4 for the research that supports this. A successful move away from stuck and aggressive postures is more likely if the healthcare professionals adopt the following skills and strategies. First of all, use non-verbal skills to communicate concern and continued interest in the patient. This means having an open and consciously relaxed body posture because the patient's mirror neurons will start to reflect the same bodily attitude and using a calm, quiet tone of voice. It's possible to say the same words in ways that convey calmness or vast irritation and there is more information about this in TALC 0011 and 0012. Use your verbal skills to convey an expectation of a positive outcome. This means the healthcare professional can choose their words carefully to convey positive outcomes and to use small words or turning words effectively. There's much more detail about this in TALC module 44 and 45. How can your words really be healing in their own right? And how to change everything by using the small words skillfully, which are and, but, if, when, what. Compare these phrases which convey similar meanings in different ways. Which is more positive and more likely to calm someone down and encourage cooperation? We can't have different staff for every patient. You cannot choose. You must see whoever is here. From this, the patient will hear and absorb can't, cannot, must, all of which have a negative tone. Compare it to this. All our staff work to the best standards of care with all our patients. The patient will hear all, best, care, are, which have much more positive connotations. The next thing is to consider immediately offering something the patient might need, a drink, a chair, an offer to take their coat, or some immediate necessary attention, for example, to a wound or a sling for a painful fracture. This helps to reinforce the yes state of mind, 
the grounds for which have already been prepared by calling forth the good in that person. Solving a smaller issue first can pave the way for greater cooperation over bigger issues. Saying yes, even in a small way, starts to release affiliative hormones like oxytocin, dopamine or serotonin that build relationships between people. This might create just enough feel-good factor to open the way forwards in other areas. The healthcare professional can continue to be the grown-up in the room and do this by expressing their values. For people to move from an initial aggressive position, there are several factors to consider. The grown-up in the room, i.e. the healthcare professional, can express their conviction that a harmonious solution can be found and we will work together to ensure that. Furthermore, they can frame their own needs in terms of their own core values. What really matters to me is that everyone here is treated with respect and kindness, whether that's staff or patients. So I'd like to ask that we talk with that in mind now. Of course, the patient's own positive values should be acknowledged too. I can see that you really want the best for your family member, and so do I. The healthcare professional can bear in mind that they are attempting to solve the right issue, while remembering that people fear losing what they already have more than they desire to gain something new. Clarifying and reframing what seems to be a demand for a white doctor or a female doctor as the best care for your child or as somebody you feel comfortable with that you can trust could be followed up with the thing is I don't want someone else to take your child's turn in the queue at this point and pause there or there's a risk of you losing your appointment to someone else if we go that way again pause or I am concerned that you'd have to lose your turn while all the other patients get seen in front of your wife while you have to wait a long time for a female doctor. In the latter case, previous active listening should have clarified the details of any concerns about seeing a male doctor, and this could be further alluded to. As we discussed before, although the doctor is male, there will always be an experienced woman chaperone there also to help your wife feel more comfortable. She won't be alone. Framing a request as a loss tends to mean people back down a little bit because people hate losses above everything. At this point, it's also to remember that it's good to avoid embarrassing people. It's said that people fear embarrassment and shame, for example, in their fear of public speaking, almost as much as they fear death. This means always giving people a way out of their position with their dignity intact. It isn't necessary to rub their noses in any change of mind. Savour this privately as the professional. This is evidence of a professional skill, so do not give in to the desire to show that you've won or got one over on the patient. A way out with dignity is the way to go. If the healthcare professional relaxes and allows their creative thinking to develop, it can become professionally very satisfying to find a way through difficult encounters. Creating a collaborative solution also means framing questions in cooperative terms, using the person's name and talking about we to indicate a shared problem. So, Mr P, what should we do now? Amelia, what can we do together to move forwards on this? Showing respect and overtly by asking for advice can be soothing. 
the healthcare professional doesn't necessarily have to take the advice. Can I take your advice? What do you think about us trying this? When the patient is calm enough for a discussion, yet the situation still seems to be stuck, the healthcare professional can help the patient to decenter and see things from a different perspective, just as the healthcare professional themselves took the trouble to understand the patient's perspective. So saying things like perhaps, is there anywhere you know, a friend or family member perhaps, who might feel a bit differently about this? What might they be thinking now? Is there anyone you respect who might think differently to you about this issue? And pick up from their reply, what would X say now? Clearly, someone who remains angry and aggressive might be further inflamed by such an approach. I don't give a F what other people think. So caution is needed here. Generally, these approaches will all move the conversation to a place where the professional can start to do their job. This means using all their usual clinical and consultation skills to complete their clinical assessment, perhaps, to perform any necessary tasks and to continue to deliver care with compassion. Healthcare professionals sometimes need to create appropriate challenge to a patient's behaviour. Are we going to call them out or invite them in? Ruth King's comment, I think, is a good way to start here. She says, take a breath and be open to learning. Be willing to recognise in the other the fragility of being human, which includes ignorance and innocence. Imagine you are softly holding hands with the person you are calling out, rather inviting them into a relationship over disgrace. Aggressive, racist or abusive behaviour is not acceptable. How and when should such behaviour be called out, i.e. named and exposed? How can a healthcare professional challenge such behaviour when they encounter it? Calling out is actually a kind of violent form of communication, isn't it? It seems quite aggressive in itself and can inflame things. Ruth King, who has frequently wrestled with racist behaviours towards herself, talks about calling out or inviting in. Our own attitude, tone of voice and beliefs about who is worthy of compassion can affect how we have this conversation. She comments that regardless of race, no one likes being called out in whatever way the message is delivered. It can be hard to hear about the negative impact of behaviour on others. The shame involved is very aversive and being so exposed makes people feel vulnerable, which may trigger even further defensive stress responses, which put them back into fight or flight mode. King further comments that fundamentally, we feel shamed when the impact of our behaviour is called out. In fact, the shame all round. The person that feels they must confront our behaviour is often also shamed from the impact of behaviour and because they must confront it. It is not easy discerning our immediate feelings. If you're like me, you will first feel anger, which is attempting to soften the psychic jolt of shame. Bottom line, being called out feels awful. So we need to think about the timing of discussions about inappropriate behaviour. It's wise to proceed with some caution, especially in healthcare settings where patients are already feeling vulnerable. This part of the conversation is often best left to the very end of the discussion and approached in a way that allows a way out with dignity. By opening gently, 
the healthcare professional can invite the patient to draw their own conclusions, which can be surprisingly effective. Try beginning with a statement or comment along the lines of, I'm wondering, could we talk about what happened when you first came in? Then wait and leave a silence for the patient to comment. People don't like silences and they'll often jump in. Often what follows is something like, yeah, I know it was a bit out of order. Sometimes the patient may say little, but apologise at a future encounter. Sometimes they demonstrate major change by asking to see the same healthcare professional again, the very person they had denigrated just a short time before. Consider the impact on your colleagues. Another helpful approach can be to describe the impact of the behaviour, especially when it concerns colleagues who deserve our support. Something like, finally, before you go, I'd like to mention that Aisha on reception was very upset after you shouted at her. Or, I know that you've been on a short fuse because of the pains being so bad. I do need to mention that I was hurt and scared by what you said at the start. After a pause or a comment from the patient, this could be followed by a very gentle request that calmness and politeness would be welcome in future because it makes healthcare run more smoothly for everyone. Again, your aim is to put your point across, but to let the patient digest it for themselves. They can then make the decision to behave differently in future. People change their minds when they feel understood and accepted rather than when they are criticised or reasoned with. Sticking with the initial discomfort of an abusive situation and then reaching a more cooperative and cordial place in the end can pay large dividends for everyone's future experiences. Handling difficult situations also means having the skills to know what to do after the event and the patient has left. Even if a challenging encounter has actually gone well, and the situation has been resolved to the benefit of all parties, the event is not finished for the healthcare practitioner when the patient leaves the encounter to wherever they're going next. The professional is likely to remain with some disturbed emotions. They have to complete their clinical record, inform their team and be ready to continue their work appropriately. So here are things to think about after the patient has left. The healthcare professional needs to be the first recipient of their own compassion and care. They need to complete the clinical records skillfully and they need to obtain support within their local team and follow local reporting protocols. So I want to think about the healthcare professional being the first recipient of their own compassion and care. However the encounter with an aggressive or abusive patient ends, the professional needs to extend their care and compassion towards themselves initially. This may mean returning to the calming breathing methods that I talked about before, such as box or four square breathing, and continuing to notice and name the internal emotions that is being experienced. Just as acknowledging a patient's emotions and responses can be calming for them, the same applies to the professional themselves. Wow, that was a difficult conversation. The things that person said to me were horrible, even though they apologised in the end. I'm glad it all calmed down in the end, but it was hard work to get there. Thank goodness that's over. I was prepared, but it was a tough one to go through. 
naming the experience and breathing calmly will help to move into a calmer state led by the parasympathetic nervous system. And this allows any adrenaline type effects to drain away more quickly. This is actually important for the healthcare professional's well-being, so that stress is not stored up but dissipated as soon as possible. The reset and calming methods of talc 1-2 may also be useful. One option is to take a few moments to focus on the sensation of washing your hands. I think scented soap in the office is good. And this can help to relieve stress by bringing attention fully into the present moment. The stress can also be symbolically flushed away down the drain as the hands are rinsed. The healthcare professional should also take some time to digest the experience. And it is usually helpful to do this with the support of a colleague at some point. How to complete the clinical record. There are two aspects to this. Firstly, the clinical aspects of the record need to be completed accurately and appropriately, as is usual in the specific setting. Nothing new there. Secondly, however, the clinical record needs to contain a note about what happened relating to the aggression or abuse. It is helpful to remember that the facts are friendly and record the specific facts of what happened clearly without using vague or judgmental words whose meaning might be challenged or misunderstood by others. So here are two versions to compare. What if I write, the patient was very rude and unpleasant at the start and was demanding that I give him inappropriate Valium prescriptions. Compare that to, before I said anything, the patient said, I want an effing Valium prescription now, in a very loud voice, and banged his fist on the table. While exactly the same events are described, the second version is both confined to the facts of the matter, it doesn't make judgments like unpleasant or rude, but it also gives a clearer idea of what actually happened. Recording the patient's words verbatim inside quotation marks is a legally accepted way to record what happened and will enable you to stick to the facts. It will also assist any other professional who may have to see the patient in the future. Dispassionate recording of the facts is also more helpful in dealing with any consequences such as complaints or requests for reports or in planning how care might be delivered in future. A full description of the clinical record keeping issues is beyond the scope of this TALC chapter. All healthcare professionals should be aware of the best ways to complete effective, informative and legally sound clinical record entries. Finally, it's important to obtain support within your local team and following local reporting protocols. The healthcare professionals' personal care for themselves should include reporting what happened to their immediate team members and checking whether others may have been affected by the same person's behaviour, for example, front desk staff or other clinicians. Local policies and procedures should be followed. Within teams, it should be expected and made explicit that support is available whenever anyone has been subjected to abuse or aggressive behaviour according to what they wish for and need at the time. This support increases the overall psychological safety of the team and its working practices. In the heat of the moment of an aggressive, abusive or hostile encounter, any professional will initially feel the surge of hormones from the amygdala and the sympathetic nervous system, which could easily put them into panic, 
fight or flight mode. Using all the strategies and techniques described in this chapter can empower healthcare professionals to hold on to the calm place, to use their compassion for themselves and others, to use their empathy to build relationships and to use their curiosity to open up new dialogues. Using skills that create cooperation and collaboration has the potential to change the narrative of the encounter into a more humane one that is respectful to all parties. People are not fixed, however horrible they are, they also have the potential to be wonderful. In the end, if a healthcare professional can encourage that, it will be to everyone's benefit in the longer term. This podcast was brought to you by NHS Professional Educators, making training available to all.